Chapter Fourteen of A Mating in the Wilds by Otwell Binns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mysterious Visitors. It was snowing again, driving across the lake in the hard wind and drifting in a wonderful wreath about the cabin. To go out of doors would have been the utmost folly, and Stane busied himself in the fashioning of snowshoes which now would be necessary before they could venture far afield. The girl was engaged in preparing a meal, and the cabin had an air of domesticity that would probably have utterly misled any stranger who had chanced to look in. Stane, as he worked, was very conscious of the girl's presence, and conscious also that from time to time his companion glanced at him while he bent over the tamarack frames, weaving in and out the webbing of caribou rawhide. Those glances made his heart leap, though he strove hard to appear unconscious of them. He knew that in her, as in him, the weeks of intimate companionship, so dramatically begun, had borne its inevitable fruit. The promise she had forced from him, but a few days ago, came to his mind as he stooped lower over the half-finished snowshoe. Would he ever be able to redeem it? Would he ever be able to tell her what was in his heart? What indeed had been there since the moment of their first meeting at Fort Malsum? Between him and the desire of his heart rose those bitter years in prison, until the stain upon his name was removed and the judgment of the court expurged. He felt he could not tell her what he wished what indeed he was sure she would not be averse to hearing. Of Helen herself he had no doubt. She already had declared her faith in his innocence, and the generosity of her nature in all its depths and breadth had been revealed to him. To her, the years of his prison life were as though they had never been, or at the most were an injustice which he had suffered. And his name in her eyes had suffered no soiling. That if he spoke, she would respond, finally, generously, and with all the fullness of her splendid womanhood, he had no doubt. And yet, he told himself, he must never speak until he could do so without blame. For while to her the past was nothing, the people among whom she ordinarily moved would remember, and if she united her life with his, she would, like himself, become a social exile. And there was a further reason for silence. If he allowed the girl to commit herself to him while they were alive in this wilderness, it would be said that he had taken advantage of a rather delicate situation, using it for his selfish ends, and his pride as a man revolted against that. He clenched his teeth at the thought, and unconsciously frowned. No, it should never be said that he... "'Why that dark scowl?' asked the girl, laughingly. "'Is my lord displeased with the odors of the dinner that his servant prepares?' Stane joined in her laughter. "'I was not aware that I was frowning. The dinner has a most appetizing smell.' "'If only I had a Mrs. Beaton,' sighed Helen, though I dare say she wouldn't give any recipe for frozen mousse and rice and beans, without even an onion to flavor.' The civilized cookery books don't deal with the essentials. 
when i return to the polite world the first thing i shall do will be to publish a pocket cookery book for happy people stranded in the wilds happy he echoed smilingly i speak for myself she retorted lightly you don't suppose that i regret these weeks away from civilization i was never happier in my life i have you will agree proved myself i can face an unprecedented situation without fainting i can cook a dinner without killing a man who eats it i have set a leg successfully and built a raft that floated safely and reared two lodges in the wilderness i have no nerves while nearly every woman i know is just a quivering bundle of them yesterday when i went out to the woodpile a big lynx came round the corner of it his eyes simply blazed at me six months ago i should have run indoors as it was i threw a chunk of wood at him and he bolted you never told me began stane what need interrupted the girl you don't inform me every time you see a lynx but you must be careful replied stane anxiously at this season of the year if he is very hungry the lynx can be a dangerous beast remember his claws are like knives and he has ten of them oh i will remember answered helen cheerfully she stooped over the pan and then announced i think this mess of savory venison is ready and i don't believe our cook at home could have done it half so well if my lord and cobbler will put away the snowshoe we will dine and after the washing up i will sleep it was in this spirit of lightness that she faced all the hardships incidental to their present life and it was little wonder that at times between her gaiety and her challenging presence stane had much ado to keep his resolve half a dozen times a day his resolution was tested and one of the severest trials came on the afternoon of that very day the snow had ceased and the night had fallen and desiring exercise they left the cabin together to walk in an open glade in the wood which the strong wind had swept almost clear of snow except themselves there was nothing moving the vast stillness of the north was everywhere about them and a little oppressed by the silence they walked briskly to and fro stane using his injured leg with a freedom that showed it was returning to its normal strength suddenly the girl laid a mittened hand on his arm what is it he asked quickly listen she said he stood there her hand still on his arm and a second or two later caught the sound which she had previously heard faintly and thinned by long distance it came a long curdling cry what she broke off as the cry sounded afresh and he answered the unfinished question the hunt cry of a wolf calling up the pack there is nothing to fear it is miles away oh she said i was not afraid i was only wondering what it was her hand was still on his arm and suddenly their eyes met something in the gray of hers pierced him like a stab of flame a fierce joy sprang up within him filling him with a wild intoxication his own eyes burned he saw the girl's gladness glow in her glance beheld the warm blood surge in her face and fervent words leaped to his lips clamoring for utterance almost he was overcome then helen removed her hand 
and turned as the blood cry of gathering wolves broke through the stillness. He did not speak, and Helen herself was silent as they turned towards the cabin, but each had seen deep into the other's heart, and had felt the call that is the strongest call on earth, the call of kind to kind, of mate to mate. Back in the cabin, the man turned feverishly to the task of snowshoe-making, on which he had been engaged. Through his mind, with monotonous reiteration, beat a phrase that he had read long ago, where he had forgotten. My salvation is in work. My salvation is in work. He worked like a man possessed, without looking up, while the girl busied herself with unnecessary tasks. She also knew what he knew, and she held him in a new respect for his silence, understanding the reason therefore. And presently, when her leaping heart had steadied a little, she began to talk, on indifferent topics, desiring to break a silence that was full of constraint. I saw you looking at the traps there this morning. Are you thinking of using them? Yes, he answered. I am going to start a trapping line. It will give me something to do, and the walk will exercise my leg. If the owner of the cabin returns, we shall be able to pay him rent with the pelts I take. Isn't it time he was here now, if he's coming? Yes, but he may be delayed. Or he may not intend to return. He may have found a new locality for his operations. When he went away, he meant to return. Or why did he leave his traps here? You think he will come back, then? I hope so. And when he comes, you will lure him to take us to Fort Malsum? That is my idea, replied Stane, bending over the webbing. You are anxious to get away from here, then? I am thinking of you, he answered quickly. I know what a full winter in the north means. And if I get to Fort Malsum, do you think I shall escape the winter? No, but you will have company. I have company now, she retorted smilingly. Believe me, I do not feel at all lonely. I was thinking you would have the factor's wife for... Pooh, was the challenging reply. Do you think a woman cannot live without women? He offered no answer to the question, feeling that they were in the danger zone again, and after a moment deliberately turned the conversation backward. If I have luck with the traps, you may be able to have a set of furs for a memento of your sojourn here. Oh, she laughed back, if that is the only memento I am to have. Yes, he asked. For a moment she did not speak, and when she did, there was provocation in her voice. Well, I shall be disappointed, that is all. He did not ask why. He knew, and his very silence told Helen that he knew, and for a moment both of them were conscious of the surging of that elemental force which had made itself felt out in the forest. Then the stillness was broken by a sound outside. Both of them heard it and listened carefully. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Someone on snowshoes was walking round the cabin. Whoever it was had halted by the door. Was he coming in? Half a minute passed, during which they waited without moving. Then Stane flashed a look at his companion. She was leaning forward, a look of curiosity and expectancy on her face, 
but not a single sign of fear. He rose slowly from his seat, put the unfinished snowshoe on the table, and crept toward the door. Whoever the intruder was, he had not moved, and Stane had an odd fancy that he was listening there on the other side of the rough timbers. He meant to surprise him, but was disappointed in his purpose. For when he reached the door, it was to find that the wooden bar had been dropped in position by Helen when they had re-entered the cabin. The bar fitted tightly across the door, and though he tried his best to move it without noise, he failed. The bar stuck, and when at last he threw the door open and stepped outside, he knew that he was too late. He looked into the gathering night. His first swift glance was toward the dark shadows under the trees. There was no one there. He swung round towards the lake, and dimly, through the darkness, descried a figure retreating rapidly northward. He looked closely, then, suffering something of a surprise, gave a quick hail. The retreating figure never paused, and never looked round, but kept on in a beeline over the untrodden snow. Stane knew that it was useless to follow, and the bitter cold was already pinching his face and hands and chilling him to the bones. He turned and hurried into the hut, flinging the door to behind him, and as he did so, Helen raised to her feet. "'You saw him?' she cried, in some excitement. "'No, I saw her,' answered Stane. "'It was a woman.' Helen's surprise was as complete as his own had been. "'A woman? Are you sure?' "'I do not think that I can possibly have been mistaken. "'But who and why should she come here only to run away?' "'I do not know. I cannot guess. "'But when I went to the door, I had no idea that whoever was outside was standing there listening.' "'It is very mysterious,' said Helen thoughtfully. "'Then suddenly something occurred to her, and she looked quickly at Stane as if she were going to speak. He caught the glance. "'You are about to say something?' "'Yes,' answered Helen, giving a curt little laugh. "'But I think I will keep it to myself. It was only a quite silly idea that occurred to me.' Something in her manner, the curtness of her laugh, her way of speaking, puzzled Stane, and moved him to press for an answer. "'Never mind the silliness,' he said. "'Tell me.' It is really not worth while, she answered with a little laugh, and notwithstanding the laughter, Stane knew that it was useless to press her further, and desisted from doing so. For a time he sat silent, staring into the storm, wondering what was in his companion's mind, while the girl herself followed the odd thought which had occurred to her. Was the woman who had twice ventured into the neighborhood of the cabin without revealing herself, Miss Godeed. It was very possible, for what other woman was there likely to be in the locality who could have sufficient interest in them as to visit them in such a fashion? As she pursued the idea, Ainley's suggestion came back to her with hateful force, and she remembered the Indian girl's attitude after Stane's departure. Other things she remembered and her mind echoed the words which had awakened the man's anger at the time they were uttered. Behold, an idol of the land. She remembered the girl's wild beauty, 
her manifest interest in Stane, and once again she was conscious of the hot flame of jealousy in her heart. It stung her to think that possibly this man, whom she had learned to love, had an interest in this girl, who, though no better than a savage, was rarely beautiful. She laughed in sudden bitterness and scorn of herself. At the laugh, Stane turned quickly towards her. "'What is it?' he asked. "'Just a thought,' she answered easily, though her face flushed. Stane did not ask her what the thought was. He was conscious of something enigmatic in her attitude, and her evident reserve for a second time prevented him from pursuing the matter further. He waited a moment, then he uttered the thought which had been in his own mind. When the storm is over, and there is a crust on the snow, we will go exploring together. We may find the camp from which this woman comes. If the air keeps still through the night, it will be quite easy to follow her trail in the snow. Helen looked at him with eyes half-veiled under her long lashes. Did he suspect who the intruder was? You are very anxious to find this woman of mystery, she asked. Not particularly so, he laughed in reply, but I shall be very glad to find out who our neighbors are and learn whether we can secure any help from them. The girl was reassured by the unconcerned answer. It seemed clear now that Miskodeed had not even occurred to his mind, and the reserve in her manner disappeared. You think we shall be dependent on their help, she asked. You are afraid that we shall not weather through by ourselves? Stane laughed again. Oh, no, I have no fears on that score. But it will depend on their possession of dogs whether we have to camp here all winter or not, for we could not possibly make Fort Malsum without them, particularly as I do not know the overland trail. Not that that knowledge is readily essential now, since judging from the fact that Ainley went down the lake, it seems likely that there is a way to Malsum River in that direction. But we simply must have dogs. Then in the morning we follow the mysterious one's trail? Yes, if there's no wind or snow in the night. But in the night there was both wind and snow, and on the morrow the woman's trail was quite obliterated and the snow on the lake made traveling impossible. Helen Yardley noted the fact without regret. There will be no exploring party today, she said, so I will go and look at my rabbit snares. And I will accompany you, answered Stane. The walk in the snow will help to take the stiffness out of my leg. They set out together, but had gone but a little way when the girl gave a sharp hiss. "'What is it?' he asked quietly, thinking that she had seen game of some kind. "'There's a man in those bushes in front of us,' she answered in a whisper. "'A man? Are you sure?' "'I'm quite sure. I saw him slip across that open space there. He has a gun.' The bushes she had indicated were about three hundred yards away, and Stane examined them keenly. He could see nothing, however and at the conclusion of his scrutiny he said, I will go forward. You remain here, Miss Yardley. No, she answered. I will go with you. I would rather. They advanced together, staying with his rifle 
ready for action, since the presence of that avoided them might well prove to be an inimical one. He watched the bushes steadily as they advanced but saw nothing, and when they reached them, thinking that the girl had been mistaken, he thrust his way through them. Then he stood quite still, with an anxious look upon his face. There was no one behind the bushes, but there were the marks of moccasined feet in the snow. He looked down at them, then followed the direction of them with his eyes, and stared into the forest, and, as he did so, in the dim recesses, he thought he saw the figure of a man slip behind a tree. He still waited and watched, but the figure did not reappear. Then Helen, who had walked round the bushes, spoke. There was someone here. Yes, he answered, and whoever it was did not wish to encounter us. He has made his way into the wood. What do you think it means? I do not know, he answered, but I am afraid that there are hostile Indians about us. You think they are watching the cabin, watching us, for a chance to attack? It has that appearance, answered Stane quietly. The girl was silent for a moment. Then she gave a little laugh that had in it a ring of courage. I am not afraid, but I wish we had another rifle. Stane flashed at her a glance of admiration, then gave another long look into the silent wood which now seemed full of menace. Perhaps we had better return to the cabin. No, answered the girl stubbornly. We will look at the snares first. I am not going to be frightened from my dinner by a wandering Indian. And they went forward together. End of chapter 14